if there are further questions and thoughts folks want to share. Let's start with the Nigun. Let's start with the Nigun here. I hope you can taste the liberation in your mouth, a little freedom in your mouth. You know, Jews are funny. Jews are funny. You know, Pesach, uh, <laughs> Pesach, it's not supposed to be fun. It's actually supposed to be kind of hard, you know, because because freedom is hard. Freedom is hard. It's not easy to be free. In some ways, it's easier to be a slave. People just tell you what to do. To be free, you got to make really hard choices all the time. So Pesach is a little bit hard. You know, there's some cleaning involved. There's a lot of a lot of learning and conversation involved. Sometimes you got to be with people you want to be with a little bit. Sometimes you got to be with people you don't want to be with a whole lot. Sometimes you, you know, but it, it's, uh, it, but it's also beautiful. It's beautiful because we recharge our sense that we are agents of change. Actually, let me say one thing about that. There's two names for Pesach, you know, um, two primary names. One, of course, is Pesach. What does it come from? Pasach, that Hashem sent an angel to pass over the homes so that the, the firstborn Israelite males would not die, right? That's what God does. But the other name is Chag HaMatzot, the holiday of matzah, which is what the people did. The people had to make matzah because they didn't have time to make challah and whatever else they're going to make. They made matzah. So the holiday is saying part of what, is what God does Uh, thank you. Thank you for those giving me a symbol there that it went mute for some reason. <laughs> so, so that's what Pesach is about, realizing which parts of our lives are in our control and which parts of our lives are in someone else's control, right? Are not, or, or to say not in our control. Okay, let's start with a little poll here, a little poll here to close out, uh, to close out Pesach. Oh, thanks, Lauren. And oh, thanks, Rabbi Biller. Okay. Okay. How was your Pesach Seder? Best of my life. I was like, ah, I, I, I wrote home about it. Or good, better than last year when the COVID started. Or third, one of my least exciting. Or four, it was so bad. At last, I didn't engage at all. To be honest, I just didn't do it. Remember, this is all anonymous. Nobody's going to know what you do. But let's get a sense of where, uh, where folks are at. Give you a few seconds to cast your vote. Uh, this is not about being optimistic or pessimistic, just kind of sharing where you're really at. Okay, uh, Pam, let's see the results there. Okay, can everyone see those results? Everyone can see that? 
Yeah, good, good. Best of my life, 11%. Okay, feel, uh, anybody want to own if that was you? <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, Rabbi Pillar, best of your life. Wow, I want to hear about that. Good, better than last year. Okay, I'll take that. That's great. More than half of us. And one of my least exciting, a third. Okay, understandable, understandable. Yes, I know. Uh, uh, this is a, these are hard times. These are hard times. And I'm uh, so, but I'm glad that for nobody, it was so bad, even if it was one of my least excitings. Okay, good, good. Okay, thanks for sharing. And uh, friends, we're going to jump into our 39th malacha, and then we're going to do some conclusion and synthesis here. And for those of you who are on, not in the Zoom room, but are on the Facebook live uh, uh, feed, um, we appreciate you being with us also. So thank you for being over there. Here we go. The 39th and final malacha is hotza'ah, carrying, or more literally, bringing out. When the mishkan was utilized in the desert, it would be disassembled for transportation as the Israelites traveled from place to place. They would place the parts of the mishkan in large wagons, each of which was its own reshut hayachid, its private domain, in the midst of the larger midbar, the larger desert, which was a reshut harabim, a public domain. And thus, hotza'ah is about carrying objects from a reshut hayachid to a reshut harabim, and vice versa. In the Midrash, what they call a heretic, I know heretic is kind of a loaded word, but what the Talmud calls a heretic, this person asked how God could bring rain down on Shabbat, since it should be the malacha of Hotza'ah, transferring water from one domain to another, right? This person is the, at the Seder, what we call the wicked child, right? <laughs> the one who's like, oh, Hotza'ah is a problem, huh? Well, God is guilty of Hotza'ah because God lets it rain on Shabbat. And isn't that the movement of an object from one domain to another? Yay, there's the slides. Great. The rabbis responded that since the whole world belongs to God, that the transfer of water is not from one domain to another, but all within God's domain. The world is filled with your possessions, they quote from, from Psalms 104. Indeed, from a theological perspective, one might suggest there is only one domain. But from our societal constructs of public and private property, we make practical legal distinctions. This is just to revisit this idea that we do in the 21st century in American capitalism honor the idea of private property. My land is my land and your land is your land. Hey, uh, wasn't that a song once? Or this land is your land, this land is my land. I, actually, it's the opposite. <laughs> Instead of its private property, this, hey, this land is your land, this land is my land. And then, uh, okay, I forgot the rest. But, <laughs> uh, but, but friends, from a theological perspective, we share it all. We share the land together, we share the air together. Interesting enough, Hotza'ah is the only malacha to have its own Talmudic tractate. What is that Talmudic tractate? Eruvin, Eruvin. What's that fellow doing up there? He's building an Eruv. Right, this is a really funny thing. Actually, one of the funniest things Jews do is they go to a Gentile before Pesach and they sell matzah to the Gentile. They say, hey, will you buy my whole congregation's, um, uh, uh, not matzah, uh, chametz. Will you buy my whole congregation's chametz? Uh, it, it has a value of $80,000, right? And then after Pesach, I'm going to buy the chametz back. 
right? So, uh, so that's kind of a funny thing Jews do. But also a funny thing is that fellow up there in the picture goes to the mayor of Scottsdale, goes to the mayor of Phoenix, and he says, listen, we want to build some rope, put some cords up around the city so that we can, we are the real owners of the city, right? The Jews want to be the owner of Scottsdale, Arizona. We're going to put those cords up there. Well, you want to do what to our city? No, no, don't worry. We don't really own it. We just want to be able to carry on Shabbat in that land. Oh, oh, thank you, uh, uh, Lauren, from Buena Vista to Vancouver Island, from the Arctic Circle to the Great Great Lake Waters. This land was made for you and me. Uh, it, it, are, 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 are those the real words? Are those the real words there? Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Good. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's so, the Canadian version. Oh, that's the Canadian version. Oh, oh yeah. Really? The, oh, the Israeli version is from the Arab border to the Arab border, from the Arab border oh. to the Arab border. Oh, are, are you joking or are you serious? Uh, no, Israelis joke. American oh, they, oh, they joke. make okay. that joke. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. So, so anyways, this fellow... Oh, um, just going back for a moment. So, so, so this fellow here goes and he says, we want to make this city our private domain. So on Shabbat, we can carry in it because we can't carry from a, a, a private domain to a public domain. So in Scottsdale and Phoenix, we have these things up there. And, and somehow these mayors agree to do it. I, I haven't heard yet of a mayor who won't. Actually, every year there is some story that there's some conflict. Anyways, interesting enough, Hotza'ah is the only malacha to have its own Talmudic tractate called Eruvin. Yes, an artificial construct. Very nice, an artificial construct, which more or, or we also call it a uh, um, what do we call it? A uh, uh, it's coming back to me. A legal uh, oh yeah, legal fiction. A legal fiction, which more technically is about a rabbinic workaround to avoid the structures of this malacha. The fact that the Talmud devotes an entire tractate to this topic is probably due both to the complexity of the matter and to the collective relationship to the malacha. Ever wonder why we don't blow shofar on, on Rosh Hashanah if it's on Shabbat? This is like a radical thing, right? If, if you go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and it, Rosh Hashanah is Shabbat, the biblical mandate to blow shofar, we skip it. And the reason we don't blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah when the new year falls on Shabbat is because lest someone come to carry the shofar in a public domain. This is really radical. We refrain from the biblical commandment of blowing shofar merely out of fear that one might engage in hotza'ah, in carrying. The transition from a private to a public space is so significant that it's marked by another biblical commandment that on its face seems disconnected from the laws of Shabbat, placing a mezuzah on our doorposts and on our gates. We must remember that we need to be our full self in both domains, even while we alter our respective styles in each domain. The mezuzah reminds us of our values. We check to see what parts of ourselves we are carrying from society into our homes and from home back into the broader world. What a beautiful way to think of the mitzvah, right? That when we leave home, we say, ah, oh, what am I bringing of myself from home into the world? And when we walk back in, what do I want to check at the door? What do I want to check at the door? And it's a nice chesed. It's a nice kindness. If you know somebody moving into a new rental or a new um, home to help them put up their mezuzah or join them in their mezuzah uh, party or buy them a mezuzah, usually the scroll costs um, on the cheaper end, $35, $40, maybe $50 American dollars. 
Um, it, you know, maybe someone's going to ask for more if it's a more fancy kind. Uh, make sure it's not computer typed. Uh, if it's ten dollars, you know it's computer typed. Um, and then, um, um, and then you, and then obviously the case as well. Tragically, many do not have the privilege of crossing the threshold from a public domain back into the refuge of a private domain. You know, a big part of our work here at VBM is serving the homeless. Um, we do a lot of work with the homeless populations. Um, and um, our, our lead organizer on that campaign is a fellow named Austin Davis. If you just Google Phoenix Austin Davis, based on his work with us over the last year, you'll find a dozen, maybe even two dozen articles about this fellow who's like a Mother Teresa, who goes out there, what he does for our team and for the and for this community, no one else does this. In the, in the city of Phoenix, nobody does what this fellow does on our team. He's at Sadiq, he's at Sadiq. Uh, he, 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 he talks to homeless people and he asks them something specific they need. They might say a taco, they might say a cane, they might say they need their bike fixed, they might say they need some dog food, they might say they need some, um, some medicine, and he gets them specifically what they need. And he gives them their phone number and he's like, if you need something at a different time, call me. And they'll call him at night and he'll go out and get their medicine, whatever the case is. And this is like an unbelievable thing. It's not like, it's not like a homeless shelter. Show up and like stand in line and you get a, like a, a little, you know, a little spoonful also, which is, which is wonderful that they can get access to that. But he's like, what do you need? Like, what do you need today? Right? So this is what this fellow is doing on our team. And we're very blessed to have them on our team. Anyways, tragically, many do not have the privilege of crossing the threshold from a public domain back into the refuge of a private domain. Homelessness is indeed a modern plague. Having served as a rabbi in homeless camps on many occasions, I have seen firsthand what deep despair can look like. Indeed, a modern plague. The despair that comes in the form of homelessness is a plague that crushes the spirits of anywhere between a half a million to one and a half million people in America each year. Of course, we don't have those numbers. And of course, those numbers have risen uh, uh, a lot over the last year. And uh, I guess actually 14 months now. Um, and tragically, there were people who never thought they could find themselves uh, in, in, in homelessness. And um, the levels of sickness, the levels of mental illness, the level of COVID exposure, um, um, the, the lack of access to the vaccine. I mean, it, it's just, it's all unfathomable. Jews are morally mandated to feed and tend to the most vulnerable in our midst. In the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo writes, if someone comes and says, feed me, you don't check them to see if they're an imposter, but you feed them right away. To be sure, he does go on. If they're asking for something abstract, we do have the right to kind of verify. But if they're asking for food, we don't have the right to verify their homelessness. We must feed them. That's why it's been my practice not to give money at, at the car. Uh, I'm, I'm not passing judgment on those who choose to give money through the window. But my practice has been to have a, a bag of supplies, which is about half food and half hygienic, that I jump out of the car at the red light and, uh, and, and, and pass out. Um, of course, you want to give things that people who haven't had dental care in a year or decades uh, to be sure it's not something crunchy or an apple would be too hard to bite um, in any case. Um, so that that's that's the unique halachic mandate around food. Sorry for the slide confusion, friends. Uh, a little slide confusion, but um, it'll be back in place soon. Um, in any case, that's why we uh, we food has a different relationship over over money. In the Torah, a society that punishes those who feed the homeless is analogous to Sodom, 
a city that was riddled with moral perversion. Not only are we encouraged to engage in hospitality and acts of kindness, we are warned that there, were, there will be collective consequences for those who mistreat the downtrodden. The citizens of Sodom not only avoided welcoming guests and abused them, but also punished those who helped others. Quote, quote, unquote, quote, they issued a proclamation in Sodom saying, everyone who strengthens the hand of the poor and the needy with a loaf of bread shall be burnt by fire. We learn by that story that it's not only enough to do acts of kindness, we also have to protest acts of evil. How can we ensure that America does not resemble Sodom? As we ask that practical question, we should ask the parallel moral question. How can we not ensure that we will do all we can to avoid having America resemble Sodom? That's a big question for us to think about. You know, our VBM team, our Arizona Jews for Justice team recently did a phone call with the new mayor of Scottsdale to start a relationship and flag some issues of concern we have. Um, and one of the issues I do wanna to return to is these signs that have recently popped up around Scottsdale that no one is around to be, a, no, no one is allowed to sit on a street corner. And you can understand why people want a beautiful Scottsdale. We wanna not look at problems. We want homelessness to be bused down to Phoenix or Glendale or whatever the case is. Remember when the, when the Super Bowl came to Glendale? I was out there in my talus protesting the Super Bowl because you know what they did? They, they bust every homeless person out of Glendale to be sure that everyone who was coming to visit the, for the Super Bowl wouldn't have to visit such wretched, such wretched creatures. They literally bust them out and drop them out in the middle of nowhere. So I was out there and uh, people were mad at me being out there. Some people were thankful, but most of them just wanted to enjoy the football. What are you doing out here messing with our day? But this, friends, this is a life and death issue. To ignore it is to absolve ourselves of our sacred responsibility. To wait around for action is to betray the very essence of justice itself. From Henry David Thoreau to Martin Luther King, America has a strong tradition of objecting to and even defying laws that violate core spiritual values. It is not enough to provide meager soup kitchens to which the poor must travel. Many people without shelter need more and find themselves so desperate that they are begging in the streets. We must respond compassionately. The Jewish people need to be at the forefront of this call to action. We must engage in Hotza'ah during the week to bring forth supplies to those in desperate need. Right? On Shabbat, we reflect on carrying from domain to domain. When we go forth into the world, we don't only carry objects, we carry our past, we carry our stories, our identity, and our future aspirations. I was recently carrying my oldest son to his bed after he fell asleep, and I noticed that he was his own person. <laughs> he was his own person. In the past, I saw a little bit of his grandparents' nose. I saw a little bit of his grandparents' eyes. In some ways, he looks like his mom. In some ways, he looks like me. Thank God he looks more like his mom than like me. <laughs> but in this time, something was different. He looked just like himself. Beautiful him, Mayor Lev Cook, just as he was created to be. Yes, in God's image but also in his own image as a unique, beautiful creation. What a wonderful thing to see a person as themselves. And I realized that this is our human story. We have inherited, quote unquote, our people's narratives, the traumas and the glory of, quote unquote, our people. We carry the richness of our past with us, but each and every one of us is also profoundly unique and a radical new beginning in the human story. We are so gracefully carried asleep from the past 
by our families, our ancestors, our own DNA to this present moment. Think about that. What a cool meditation, right? Our past ancestors have carried us to this moment. Our grandparents carried us to this moment. Our parents carried us to this moment. And yet in this present moment, friends, we can wake up and realize that the two key components of who we are, both that we are carried so gently and lovingly to this moment by others who molded us so deeply, but also to this deeper existential reality of our unique purpose, never you untied from where we have come from, but never blocked from liberation to start a new path. The world needs the richness of our past to be understood and honored. But the world also needs each of us to actualize our unique potential of this moment. It's about particularism and universalism. It's about tradition, traditional and progressive, a focus on others and on the self, determinism and freedom. It's about the old and the new. What we also, quote unquote, carry in the world is our usefulness, something that is deeply needed and meaningful in human experience. Friends, as, as, post, as, friend, as friends pass into their dotage, as, as friends age, sometimes what they crave more than ever is to be useful. So let's reflect on this poem, to be, use, to be of Use by Marge Piercy. You'll see after my three dots um, that I cut out a few paragraphs just because it was a very a long poem, but I think we get the gist here. The people I love the best jump into work headfirst without dallying in the shallows and swim off with sure strokes, almost out of sight. I want to be with people who submerge in the task, who go into the fields to harvest and work in a row and pass the bags along, who are not parlor generals and field deserters, deserters but move in a common rhythm when the food must come in or the fire to be put out. The work of the world is common as mud. Bosch, it smears the hands, crumbles to dust. But the thing worth doing well done has a shape that satisfies, satisfies clean and evident. Greek amphoras for wine or oil, Hopi vases that held corn and put in museums, but you know they were made to be used the pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. Think about that line, that last line again. A pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. Indeed, work is not only hard and demanding, it can also be deeply fulfilling when it is of use. To carry what we feel we are meant to carry on our shoulders. One of the most meaningful forms of being of use through carrying is carrying the casket of a loved one, thereby performing the mitzvah of kavod, kavod, kavod hamit, honoring the deceased, and a true chesed shel emet, a truest act of kindness, since it can never be repaid by the deceased and is thus not an act of reciprocity. In addition to carrying what is positive and useful, we must learn how to carry how to put down and let go of that which is not serving us and others, such as toxic emotions. In dark, scary times where all moral foundations of truth and decency are being chipped away, how do we not fall into despair? The Musar teachers instruct us to begin our balance between emunah and bitachon, faith and trust. Having faith in the path we must walk and let go of control and hishtad lut, striving forward with all of our energy, like we talked about earlier. 
what is in my control and what is out of my control. There is so much we cannot control today. So friends, take a moment and let's breathe it out. Let it go. Seriously, those of us who really care, those of us who really care about the plight of the vulnerable are often carrying way too much stress and anxiety and fear and pain in our hearts. And it makes us less effective, even as it makes us more empathic. It can make us less healthy, even as it makes us more caring. And to be fully compassionate toward others, we need to act compassionately toward ourselves. And yet there is so much we can and must control today. Let's roll up our sleeves, push ourselves beyond our normal comfort zones, and each of us actualize our unique potential to bring light to our own corners. There is a crucial moment. This is a crucial moment in our world history that our descendants will read about in history books and will feel the lasting impact from for centuries to come. Where were you, our grand, great-grandchildren will ask if they haven't yet. Each day taking control of together of the fate and destiny of our society, of humanity, of our, of our planet. Each day breathing and marching, breathing and marching, breathing and marching. Moshe brings down the first tablets. When he sees the golden calf, he breaks them. He goes, he goes back up the mountain for 40 days, prays for the people's forgiveness, and comes down with the new tablets. But the amazing thing is that the Aron HaKadosh, the Aron HaKodesh, the Holy Ark, as we have discussed, must contain the first broken tablets and the second whole tablets. We carry our brokenness and our wholeness together. We carry the word of God, the first tablets written by God, and the human word, the second tablets written by Moshe. We carry perfection and imperfection, and that's how it must be, what we carry forth in the world. Another really meaningful form of carrying is carrying a baby in the womb. This is indeed considered an enhanced status of holiness in the Torah. Here's what it says. Uh, well, here's how one author explains this. Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, presents the rule that when a woman gives birth, she descends in purity. Right? It's a form of tuma as opposed to a tahara. Moreover, when a woman gives birth to a daughter, she descends twice the level of, 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 of purity than she than that she descends when, when she gives birth to a boy. The Or HaChayim explains that this perplexing, perplexing formulation teaches us that during a pregnancy, she has a higher level of holiness since she is carrying another life. The conception of a daughter who will maintain within herself a greater creative potential raises her to an even higher level of holiness. After the potential, leaves her womb, her level of purity descends. Inasmuch as a female fetus represents a higher level of potentiality upon the birth of a girl, th that the mother's level of purity descends doubly. For potential creation is indeed holy, and the level of creation potential, of creation potential is, is directly related to the level of holiness. So friends, this is a really interesting way to think about Tuma and Tahara, purity and impurity, as is related to bleeding and as is related to childbirth, that a woman can, and I know, I know some will find this idea offensive and some will find this idea beautiful, this idea that a woman can reach a higher level of holiness than a man. Um, and that part of that higher level of holiness is about 
the potentiality for creation, the potentiality for birth. Okay. And this is about her carrying life in a way that a man cannot. One of the startling phenomena of becoming a parent is realizing that one is taking on all the burdens of that child. There is a Hebrew expression, no say ba'ol. It's called no say ba'ol, meaning carrying the burden of another. When you carry the burden of another, acting in empathy and solidarity, just as an expectant mother views a fetus as a part of herself, almost inseparable, a parent views their child as one that they carry. We carry those that we love in our hearts. Think about Yisker, reciting Yisker on the holiday, when we're still holding someone in our heart to rediscover them there. We also must be careful of what we carry, lest we come to use it inappropriately. Uh, an, uh, uh, an interesting story is told about Rabbi Yisrael Meir HaKohen, known as the Chafetz Chaim, who lived from 1838 to 1933, a fascinating figure, a very fascinating figure, the Chafetz Chaim. In 1913, Israel Medins was a young boy attending the yeshiva of Radin, which had been established by the Chafetz Chaim. One day, young Israel and Hayom, two friends, went for a walk in the woods near the yeshiva. They carried sticks in their hands. They had found the sticks during their walk. Then the Chafetz Chaim himself passed the boys. He greeted them in a friendly manner and stopped to talk to them. Kinder, kinder, he said, never walk with a stick in your hand. You might be provoked by someone. And before thinking, use the stick to hit or beat someone. A Jew should never carry a stick. Without a stick in the hand, physical violence will not be so easy. What an interesting Torah from the Chafetz Chaim about how we prepare ourselves. We put a fence around what can emerge in, in an emotional moment. What could go wrong? in my life in an emotional moment? How do I protect myself and those around me from a moment where I get afraid or I get angry? The Lubavitcher, the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote a powerful message to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs about how we carry faith in the world when Jonathan Sachs was deciding what to do with his life. Should he become a secular academic? Should he become a faith leader? The Rebbe wrote to me in the form of a parable Imagine, he said, two people, both of whom have spent their lives carrying stones. One carries rocks, the other carries diamonds. Now imagine that they're both asked to carry a consignment of emeralds. To the man who has spent his life transporting rocks, emeralds too are rocks, a burden, a weight after a lifetime. That, he, that is how he sees what he is asked to carry, just another thing to carry. But to the man who has spent his life carrying diamonds, emeralds, also are precious stones, different to be sure, but still things of value and beauty. So it is, he said, with different civilizations and faiths. To the person for whom faith is just a burden, so too are other faiths. He does not value his own. How then can he value someone else's? But to the person to whom his own faith is precious, so too are other people's faiths, because he cherishes his own. He values someone else's. His may be diamonds. The other person's faith, faith is like emeralds. But he sees the beauty in each. So the Rebbe ended. In most cases, if not all, you will find that your attachment to Judaism will heighten your appreciation of the gifts that other cultures, of other cultures. In other words, the more you will value the achievements of others. How amazing that a young boy 
trying to figure out what to do with his life, studying religions, wrote this letter to this Rebbe. And late at night, when he, did, when he finally didn't have the burden of tending to other people, he wrote this story back to him. This boy he had never met living in London. And this was a foundational story um, for him to not only become a faith leader, but for him to become an interfaith leader and appreciate other faiths. And friends, this is also so amazing because we see in the multi multicultural society of the melting pot of America, where everyone is the same, right? And everything is to be valued equally and everything is actually dismissed into a, into a secular soup of nothingness, right? Um, right? Keep everything out, but, but equality. Equality is the only thing that matters here, right? Actually, what you find is that nothing is of value anymore. But this is the person who just has the burden of carrying rocks. Oh, give me something expensive or valuable to carry. It's also just a weight, right? It, everything becomes a to-do list on an agenda. Even the beautiful things of life we can enjoy somehow are just a to-do list. It's just a task. Nothing has any value anymore. But to the person who learned how to carry emeralds in their life, right? Now they're carrying something new, a new burden. Oh, I no longer work. I'm retired. Now I'm a volunteer and that's heavy work. Now I take care of other people and that's heavy work. Now I take care of my home or someone else's home and that's heavy work. But it's beautiful work because it's not just work. Burdens, right? That's what we learned from the slaves who left Egypt going forth into Israel, what they carried on their shoulders, right? They learned how to carry rocks, but then they learned the freedom to choose to carry a new burden. What's the burden I choose to carry? Burdens are not bad. It's not bad to go to work. If you just carry something you hate, then yeah, work is the worst. Someone gives you jobs to do. But if you feel you're doing something good in the world, what you're carrying on your shoulders is something of, it's a ruby. It adds dignity and light to your life. Friends, in learning how to carry the Mishkan, the Israelites had something else crucial to carry forth from Egypt. The Torah, the Torah tells us that the Egyptians gave them gold, silver and fabrics, supplies that would be used to build the Mishkan. And then we read, Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had extracted a promise from the Israelites on his deathbed, saying, when God takes note of you, you shall carry my remains from here with you. Friends, ah, I get the goosebumps. It makes me want to cry, literally, when I think of this. Think about this. They're rushing out. They're rushing so fast out of Egypt that they can't even make bread. They can't even get their food ready. They can't even like say goodbye to their homes. You know that last time you walk out of a home and you blow a kiss goodbye, you take a picture, you just like, you say a little prayer. They can't even say bye. And they're about to leave and Moshe says, hold on, hold on. We made a promise to Joseph 400 years ago. And Moshe runs back. And he gets the bones of Joseph. Of course, this is halakhically problematic because we don't, we don't, we don't take, we don't un un uncover bones and then go rebury them. Um, but in any case, this is a different, this is a time period. And he goes and he says, we're carrying Joseph with us, right? When we go forth to be a people of freedom, we bring our past with us. We bring our promises with us. Yosef was the reason that we were able to at one time have dignity and power and freedom here, and we're going to honor our commitment to him. We carry the bones of our loved ones out of Egypt, and we request that our descendants also carry us forth from a place of narrowness as well. 
This is done by keeping Judaism alive, progressing into new generations, honoring the past while adapting to the future. And so we are given the gift of Shabbat each week to pause and reflect upon Hotza'ah, on what we carry forth from our homes, from our past and from our hearts into the world. We pause to be sensitive to what we must leave behind and what we must be carried on further and further. Okay, friends, I'm gonna open it up. I do have uh, some closing comments I wanna make at some point. If you'll give me 30 seconds just to catch up and read the chat before you all unmute yourselves. Ah, very nice. Mm. Oh, very good. Thank you. Great. Ah, very nice. Thank you. Okay, friends, feel free to unmute yourself. I'd love to hear from you now about Hotza'a or anything else. Um, I have a question. I was Great. gonna ask, I was gonna ask you about the Arab. What's the purpose of doing it? Okay, great. Yeah. So, so um, um, it, it goes without saying once again that this is a pluralistic learning space, which is which is to say that nothing here is ever prescriptive, or suggesting one form of Judaism is is better than another form of Judaism. Um, and so, in describing why some people embrace the idea of an eruv, I neither wish to persuade persuade people to use an eruv, nor do I wish to diminish those who are doing it but merely to show this aspect of Judaism and for us to understand the phenomenon and then make our own choices about it. So um, the idea of Hotza'ah is about carrying from a Rashut HaYachid into a Rashut HaRabim, carrying into a, from a private space to a public space. And, um, and thus, there are those who, if they were in a city without an Eruv, they would not carry something out of their home, right? Um, but what an Eruv does, the court does, is they are taking, quote unquote, ownership of that public space and thus making it private space, right? Again, kind of a legal fiction, kind of a legal maneuver, but the rabbis invented this in the Talmud to solve problems. One of those, actually, some people call it the greatest feminist creation of the, of the rabbis because women had to stay home. Men went out to synagogue or wherever they would go and women couldn't carry their babies. And so they stayed home. Um, and, and, and what the Eruv did was it enabled women to go out from home and carry things like their children um, and go into synagogue and to other spaces. And so it made a public space into a, um, into, into a private space. And so that is the idea behind, behind the Eruv there. Thank you for asking, Eileen. Someone else. Wow, we have, wow, I, um, I, I, uh, an ab abnormally quiet group today. Rabbi, this is Eric. Um, I just unbelievable uh, learning that you've, that what you have said today. Thank you so much. Um, and I've been scrambling with the right question to ask. So I'm going to ask a greater abstract question um, based on what you've, you've, you've talked about the notion. 
you know, you talked about 39 different ways. There's got to be one that you and your, in your, um, at this time of your life that you must see that one is a, is a greater challenge and one that you've tried to prioritize over the other just because of difficulty or priorities, values, ethos. Um, I like to know when you've done in the course of these 39s and Sharon, what have you reflected on that you see as to be the most one that you want to prioritize most on, um, you know, in the forethought? Mm, I love that question. Thank you so much, Eric. Around these uh, 39 malachot, you know what I should have done here? Oh, good. I can share a screen. Um, uh, and I, I had planned to do this, but forgive me. Um, I'm going to remind us of that list here so we can see that for a moment. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, okay. Uh, is that the best list? No, that's not the best list. Uh, maybe, let's see here. Ah, uh, oh, here's the best one. Yeah. Okay. This is, it's actually funny. The one I'm going to pull up is from Torah Tats, like a, a little kid's song. But let me uh, do a little screen share with you for a moment. Oh, I need to be made host. Sorry. Um, okay. Anyways, um, while I'm waiting to be made host here, um, I, I, will, I will just remind us of the list here of the 39. Well, I'm not going to read through them all, but we went through sowing and plowing and reaping. I'll just do the English. Gathering, threshing, winnowing, sorting, grinding, sifting, kneading, and baking. That was that had to do with the agricultural. And then we got to number 12, shearing and whitening and disentangling and dyeing and spinning and mounting the warp and setting the two heddles, weaving, separating, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing, tearing. Right? That had to do with all of the... Uh, of the, of the manufacturing process, and then trapping, slaughtering, skinning, salting and tanning, tracing and smoothing, cutting and writing, erasing. That had to do with all of the, of the, um, of the animal uh, dimensions. And then building and demolishing, extinguishing and kindling, striking the final blow was last week, and then hotza'a, carrying this week. So um, let's see if I have uh, capacity now. Yes, I do, yay. Um, okay, here we go. So just so you can see those really quickly here, those first one through 12 were the agricultural. And then when we got from 13, sorry, 12 down, we got into, um, in regards to the manufacturing process. Um, and then we got down to how they use the animals in this process. Again, all of this is about preparing the Mishkan. And then um, and into the uh, part of the preparation, the writing and the cutting, and then into the actual building and breaking down the fire that was used here. And then, uh, um, and then after the Mishkan was built, right, they had to give the final blow, the Makiba Patish. And then the last thing they would do is, oh, it's time to travel again. Let's break down the Mishkan and travel in the desert for 40 years. And then we're going to set up camp. Let's rebuild the Mishkan, right? Let's put it back together. And, um, and that, 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 that's where we get Hotza'a here. And so, um, um, and so I think that each one of these is very rich, but I think the one that I think a lot about here is Bona, is Bona, building, building and deconstructing. And this is a profound question, just as this last one of Hotza'a is, what are we building here in the world? What are we, what, what is it I'm actively working to build each day? Because that, that's a question for a dreamer, right? We, well, sometimes we can get caught in our daily tasks, but what is the world we're trying to build? 
And of course, that question is a personal one. How do I live my life as if in a Kantian categorical imperative, if everyone was living like me, we would build, we would live in a redeemed world. That's not, that's not an arrogant approach. Like, hey, look at me, I'm living the ideal life. I wish everyone lived like me. It's a challenge. It's a spiritual challenge to live in a way that we think is an ideal, right? And so we're trying to build that world. And yet, then we have the humility of deconstructing that same world in order to reimagine how to build it once again. And that is Hotza'ah today as well. And friends, here's a great meditation I would love for you to experiment with if you're the type who would do something like this. Take a minute at your door before you walk out your door and take a minute at your door before you walk into your door to be like, what am I carrying out into the world today, right? Let me leave behind here the things I don't want to carry into the world, right? And let me carry now with me the people of my past, the spirits that I want to bring with me, the energy I wish to carry forth. And then when we're coming back into the house also, ask ourselves the question, what do I want to leave behind, right? I was just came from a negative experience or I have a negative energy. I got to check that at the door. I'm walking into my, my Mishkan. Friends, our home is our Mishkan. Our home, our home is our sacred dwelling. I don't mean this in terms of how many square feet it is or how fancy it is, right? Or how clean it is. I mean this in the energy we bring into that home. And so we have these microcosms. We have this macrocosm of, the, of what the, the, all of existence that God has created for us. But then we have a microcosm. That is this planet Earth that we care for. That is this country of America that we are working to build a just society. That is this city we live in. That is our property that we live on. And that is our home. And friends, it is also our heart. The heart that we tend to within us is our Mishkan right? This is the sacred dwelling place of the human being. We think of the human being as the body, right? But the, but the human being is that internal place of self, that internal place of our memory and of our yearning, that place of our aspirations, that place of deep feeling of yearning, that place of prayer. That is the self. That's what we cultivate each day. That's what we can't let anyone else touch in a negative way, right? That is the, that is the Mishkan. And what we're doing on Shabbat, what we're doing on Shabbat is not just cute stuff that we tell kids, as important as all that is. It's not just challah and wine. It's not just songs. All of that is wonderful. It is this cultivation of this inner life that we bring forth and is interconnected with the outer life, the world we're looking to build. That's what it means to be a Jew. What it means to be a Jew who loves Shabbat is a person who can step back and reflect on the world we live in and reflect, reflect on the inner world we live in and reflect on the work that is involved on building the outer world and the work that's involved in building our inner worlds. Okay, let's hear from someone else. I'm gonna, I wanna hear from a few more folks before we wrap up the Malacha series together. Really, you said it so beautifully that I don't think there's much more to say. It's thank you very much. That's really, really a beautiful teaching today, and a lot to think about. There's a lot to take in. So I just want to thank you for it. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. Oh yes, and no, I read your point over there as well. I read everyone's points. 
Thank you. So friends, I'm I'm gonna um I'm gonna I'm gonna close out our series because I want to honor everyone's time. And I want to say two things before um, I do that. Um, the first is um, I again want to make a formal invitation for everyone to join us in the 40 greatest Jewish debates in Jewish history. Um, that might sound like it's all legalistic or it's contentious, but really my hope is that it can be soft and sweet and gentle. Um, and yes, it does involve different viewpoints, but that is um, that is the power of it. Uh, that, that, that maybe that's what makes it sweet and gentle is that it's not, it's not an iron fist. It's not, um, um, you know, we live in a world where people are so loud about the right way to live, the right religion, the right politics, right? The, way, the right way your body should look, right? The right way, uh, you know, you should live your life, you know, the motivational speakers follow me and, you know, and, and, um, and, and I think we could be a little more gentle with ourselves and realize that no one's got the right way figured out, the right religion, the right politics, the right body, the right home, you know, and realize that, you know what, we're not looking for right. We're looking for sweet. We're looking for sweetness, right? Um, we say this in Pesach. We say, we don't, we don't say, oh, have a correct Pesach, have a truthful Pesach, have a sweet Pesach. Carry the, and then we go eat bitter herbs, right? Right, uh, that that has charosin with it. It's got the sweet charosin with it. But but we 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 want a sweet life, and so even the heavy things. That's what it means to be a Jew, friends. To be a Jew means that we engage in the bitterness of life, but we we enwrap that bitterness in sweetness. We bring that sweetness everywhere we go, even to the things that are hard. That's 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 a tzaddik when you meet a tzaddik. It's it's um. You know, it's called what Rav Cook called a uh, the simcha panimi, the inner joy that even in bad things you carry an inner joy with you, an inner light, right? That gets us through anything, loneliness and depression and and physical pain and surgery and isolation. And friends, that's not me minimizing those things to pretend like oh, if you're just a happy person, you can get through those. Those things are really hard. And, and I only scratched the surface or someone homeless can get through something if they just have a little, but we know that in addition to solving physical problems, there's a spiritual dimension. And that spiritual di dimension is Simcha Panimi, carrying this joy, carrying the sweetness. And so in this 40 greatest debates, I hope we can look at 40 of the most contentious issues as they have been explored throughout Jewish history um, and yet find some meaning and sweetness in them. And that's gonna be at the same time. This is gonna be a Tuesdays at 10 o'clock Pacific, 10 o'clock Arizona, and uh, one o'clock Eastern. Um, of course, once we change clocks again in six months, those of y'all who are on the East Coast, that will be a two-hour difference rather than three. That will be noon Eastern. Um, but um, I'm just going to call it 10 Pacific. And so um, you, um, for now, but really that means 10 Arizona. In any case, I want to invite you to that. And I also want to thank all of you. Yeah, yeah, it'll be the same link. It'll be the same link here. Um, those of you, um, those of you who are season pass holders, um, it is free to join ev any, everything we do. Um, those of you who um, want to just, uh, you know, support to join that series, you can do that. Um, those of you who have been here with us, um, and if money is 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 tight for you, please always reach out to us. Um, that's very, it's very important to us. Uh, uh, especially those of you who have been, you know, such committed learners in, in this space with us, very important to us to make this possible and accessible for everyone. And so I do want to in, invite that. And I do want to just say, normally we do a CU, we do a completion of learning celebration 
when we finish Tanakh or we finish a book of the Talmud, a tractate of the Talmud, we're not going to do a formal see you, but I just want to express my deep gratitude to those of you who joined, who have joined these sessions, whether you've joined them all, uh, as some of you have, or whether you've joined the ones that you could join. It has been such a gift to me. I have spent many hours preparing uh, each session. Um, in, and normally I never, I never do classes like this where I read from a script. Uh, I normally have sources and I wanna just discuss the sources, but I wanted to put so much thought into this because of how meaningful this uh, is that I hope it didn't feel pedantic or, or, or overly scripted in a way. Um, but I, I, uh, I, I really did want to make each, each malacha something creative. Um, and so, um, and so uh, uh, I want to thank you for, for joining and for contributing, uh, not only your thoughts, but your presence. And I love your faces because I really do watch your faces and I get energy from them and I won't, I won't call you out, but when you smile or when you nod, I get a lot of, I get, I, I, um, I get a lot from that. And so I thank you all from that gift of this presence. And so I want to close out. Um, I want to close out in wrapping up this series with um, the, these closing ideas. Sadly, many today work only to survive. I am, and I, uh, I, 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 I am a proponent, along with our friend Reverend Dr. Uh, William Barber II, who we had a lovely interview with a few days ago. He's like the Martin Luther King of our day, a wonderful black pastor out there in the in the Deep South, um, leading the Poor People's Campaign. I, like him, am a, am a proponent of raising the minimum wage to $15. There may be disagreements with me, but I feel that people who work all day every day should be able to live off what they um, earn. Um, they should get to a living wage, and right now we're the advocacy for $15. In any case, sadly, many people today work only to survive, but I don't even, only mean that as an economic justice issue. I also mean that as a psychological issue, that people who are just working only to survive, right? The ideal is for individuals to work pursuing their passions and actualizing their unique talents. I truly dream that this is not an impractical ideal, a reality only for the privileged, but that the labor can help us all to ascend to perfecting our souls and the world. It is important that we encourage everyone to experiment with various types of work. We must inspire the up and coming generation to seek out new professional experiences so as to find what they are truly passionate about. It is an imperative that we work to create a more just world where people can have the ability to seek out the work that best suits them and not merely be forced into a lifetime of unchosen, monotonous labor. Achad Ha'am, the 19th to 20th century Zionist thinker and essayist, was correct when he wrote that more than the Jews have kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept the Jews. Shabbat is about keeping Jewish continuity in a survivalistic sense for the Jews to stay alive and keeping Jews on our singular moral mission, the mandate to honor the inner dignity of all people. So what does that mean to keep Shabbat today? The Sukkachover Rebbe, the son-in-law of the Kutzka Rebbe, once remarked, you can keep every Shabbat to the letter of the law, but unless Shabbat reaches the depth, deepest and highest place in your heart, you haven't kept Shabbat in at all. Indeed, one dimension of keeping Shabbat today, in addition to mindful rest, is internalizing the dignity of all laborers in our workplaces in, and in our homes. The Torah's promise of Shabbat is one of a subversive revolution 
that reminds us that as important as our work is in our lives, rest is a greater aim. Rest does not merely mean fun, but elevated leisure. Our character is best assessed by how we choose to use our free time. Does it elevate ourselves and those around us? Does it give us more energy, ideas, and positivity? Does it bring repair to brokenness? Shabbat is a day for rest, for learning, for prayer, for self-care, for divine worship, and for spiritual reflection. It is one of the greatest gifts that God has bestowed upon the Jewish people and upon the world. No one can be purely instrumental. Everyone and everything is given the chance and responsibility to rest and heal. Shabbat can also be and must be about moral and spiritual transformation, worker justice, that workers have the chance to, to take a break, for animal rights, that animals may not be worked one day a week, for environmental justice, that the land cannot be worked one day a week, for self-care, that each person has the chance to reflect and heal. In these 39 sessions together, I have offered a, a, a modest model for how the 39 malachot are the necessary spiritual tools we need to embrace the perfect fullness of Shabbat. And through these malachot and concomitant ethic, ethical practices, we refrain from mundane work so that we are able to reflect on the power of the malachot on the other six days of the week. We see how our days are interwoven, how people are interconnected, how all is one within God's glorious kingdom. But Shabbat is about more than just not working for two reasons. It's already been stated several times and removing it strengthens our opening sentence, which is indeed the thesis here. I hope that this journey presents for us the opportunity to dive into what the 39 Malachot mean to us and how they can be personally transformational. This is my attempt to make meaning of the Malachot, but there are so many other ways, each Shabbat, to make meaning of our Shabbat experience through humble restraint from the Malachot and our weekday courageous engagement with them. The world suffers from horrible burns, from pollution, war, hate, and corruption. To sustain a peaceful, loving, just world, we can return to rebuilding the world. God created the world through the Malachot, we, the Jewish people, were in turn empowered to use the Malachot to build the Mishkan. And now, once again, to conclude, as God takes a step back, we are empowered to employ the Malachot to sustain and build this world. This project, together, and its charge for each of us, has never been more urgent. If we choose to get the most out of it, Shabbat is truly a gift for renewal, reflection, and transformation. Somehow we ended right on time. Friends, I give you the blessing of joy this Pesach. I give you um, the blessing, and I hope you'll give the blessing back to me. For the sweetness of this Pesach, the sweetness of Shabbat, however we bring Shabbat into our own personal practice and into the week, that each of us can repair the fragments of this broken world, that each of us can not only repair, but be repaired and healed in that journey. I wish you all a joyful day. Moadim Lesimcha and my deep gratitude for joining for the 39 Malachot.